Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today is Kathy Seahutter, and our topic is sudden death vehicular. In 1995, Kathy C. 15-year-old daughter, Nina, was killed when the family car was hit by a drunken driver. Since Nina's death, Kathy has served in many positions for the Compassionate Friends, including Minnesota Regional Coordinator. She is on the National Board of the Compassionate Friends and currently serves as Board Secretary. Kathy has been a presenter at national conferences on sudden death, as well as journaling as a healing tool. A prolific writer since Nina's death, Kathy has been published in several grief publications, including Chicken Soup for the Christian Family Soul. Nina's death has thrust Kathy on a journey she would never have imagined. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you, Heidi. I'm really glad to be here with both of you. What a wonderful thing that you're doing with Healing the Grieving Heart, and I love hearing that it's going to be offered in other areas, too, because grief education is just so important, and there's just that much, not that much of it out there. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, Kathy, thank you for being on the show today, my fellow board member and secretary. (laughs) Yes, I love working with you, Gloria. Oh, Kathy and I have such a great time working together uh, with the Compassionate Friends. She's such a great person. Well, Kathy, could you tell our audience a little bit about Nina? Um, Oh, my Nina. Um, Most of my friends have always said to me that Nina's in my relationship, but they don't think that they ever cut the umbilical cord because she was my buddy and um, just a vivacious, lovely, caring, compassionate, just a just a joy to be around. And um, one of these people who is so involved in everything at such a young age, it's almost as if she was trying to cram a whole lifetime into what turned out to be 15 years was her lifetime. Um, she was um, student president, and she was class president of um, her freshman class. And she was also... Um, Miss Teen Cottage Grove, and so, let's see, student council, so many different things. She was a real real joiner, a crusader, and um, she used to take me kicking and screaming to all these things. Was, that really was not my thing. That's what's so ironic about what I'm doing now. But um, just a, a wonderful girl and really just so much more than so-called titles. She just was a, a friend to all, a wonderful daughter, my shopping buddy, and as all of us, I, I just missed her terribly. All right. And could you tell us uh, about what happened? Um, we were on our, our family vacation in Orlando, and it was day six of our family vacation. We decided to go to Daytona Beach and spend the day there, but a storm cut that short. So we left earlier than we would have, and um, it just so happened that was also my birthday. And so um, we were on our way to celebrate my birthday um, and we were just three-quarters of a mile from our destination. Actually, if you know Florida, it's on I-4 outside of Disney World. And um, a drunk driver fell asleep at the wheel and crossed the medium and hit exactly the side where my daughter was sitting, and she was killed instantly. Um, his car flipped over and landed on a car behind us, killing that man. And in my oh, particular case, um, he was thrown from the vehicle, and therefore he also lost his life. So there were three people that were killed in that accident. Now, you said the driver lost his life? Yes. Oh, so the yes. drunk driver did also. He did too, right, mm-hmm. which has always posed another thing. I, I guess um, 
you know, it's kind of ironic. People would say to me, well, at least he died, and that's true. But, you know, in the beginning of my grief, it was sort of like death was not good enough for him. Um, he took my daughter with him. And, of course, over the years, I've learned to not... Mm-hmm. Not look at it that way, but that's how it was at that time. And I honestly understand that now as time gone, has gone on that um, I, I guess I, if I can say this, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, he isn't walking around when I know so many people who've lost children to drunk drivers, their child lost their life, whereas that person is still still walking and probably got a slap on the wrist. I want to bring in this email because it also relates to this. It's from uh, Joanne. And Joanne read that Kathy was going to be on the show and that her daughter was killed by a drunk driver because Joanne's daughter, Crystal, was also killed by a, a drunk driver. And uh, she wanted, she was talking about birthdays, which brought it up for me, how it's going to be her daughter, Crystal's birthday soon. So let's talk, who was killed in, by a drunk driver. Mm-hmm. So let's talk with you, Kathy, what about birthdays? Well, mine or Nina's or both. Everything. <laughs> what about birthdays? Um, well, just just like, you know, those special days, um, they're just so difficult when your, your child or your loved one is no longer there. In my case, being that my daughter died on my birthday, it's, it's one of those sad ironies that the day that I was given life was the day that my daughter lost hers. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it really it it changes things because I actually really liked my birthday. I thought it was kind of fun. It was in May and it was beautiful, and I just really enjoyed my birthday. And so this puts a whole different spin on it. Um, on my birthday, for the longest time in the beginning, I absolutely could not celebrate my birthday. There's been actually two times that my birthday has fallen on uh, Mother's Day. So I have mm-hmm. kind of what a, a three-way sort of thing that oh, wow. um, you know it's. My birthday, it's my daughter's anniversary of her death, and it is Mother's Day. And in the beginning, I, I really, that was so horrific to me, that that kind of thing, and how could I possibly deal with it? And that's one of those things in your grief journey that have changed, because in a way I'm almost relieved, because in one day I get rid of all those kind of, you know, anticipatory type situations all in one. But as far as my birthday, um, in the beginning, when people would say happy birthday to me, I, I made a point that I had to explain to them, no matter who it was, that I was not a time for me to celebrate. And this is what happened. It was my daughter's, you know, death. Died. She died on that day. And um, and I, I really was really hostile at anybody who wanted to tell me, well, your daughter wouldn't want you to not celebrate your birthday. Um, you need to do that anyway. And they would kind of force happy birthday down my throat. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've learned, you know, as time has gone on, that I, I need to uh, tolerate that people just really don't understand. And I've been able to say thank you when they say happy birthday and leave it at that and not go into great detail. I can think of a time that someone asked me that, I think it was a year anniversary, and I proceeded to tell her, this poor woman was telling me something, I proceeded to tell her that, you know, why this was not a good day, and I think the floor wanted to swallow her up whole, I felt so bad afterwards, but you just... But you know, that first year, we need to do that, don't we? We need to tell our story, and the first time it comes up, you know, it's a a very difficult thing. Well, the woman, Crystal, that emailed me also uh, her daughter, she's been she's been doing really well, mm-hmm. and now um, she says that she's starting to to slip again and and feel really bad. It's been three years, 
And um, then she mentions in the email that it is right before her daughter's birthday. So talk about anticipatory grief a little bit. You know, my feeling about that, seriously, Gloria, and I don't know how you and Heidi feel, but to me, three years is still really new. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And especially... And plus, Kathy, she has gone through a trial. And she's gone through a trial, which is something that I chose not to go through. And that, you know, that's another whole aspect. You know, it's a whole other agenda to deal with is going through the legal system and oftentimes um, the driver getting a slap on the wrist when here you are and your daughter was killed because of this person. And um, it, it's three years to me is still really, really annoying. Well, yeah, even without a trial. Without a trial. <laughs> and going through a trial, I think, can put your grief on hold a little bit because you're so wrapped up in the trial that I think you might you might put your grief on hold. And maybe. I think that's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. And most of us, most of our listeners tell us it's really disappointing after the, uh, you know, when the the final statement is either never never enough, and even if it is a lot, it still doesn't feel good. I mean, and it, that you're true. I think that's true. They do delay their grief because they've put every bit of their emotions into this trial, and then all of a sudden, there they are. No matter how years many years it may be, they're kind of dealing with it all over again. So um, that that's that's really difficult. Well, Joanne, I think that probably you know with uh, with Crystal that it's like all of us with grief. It's sort of one step forward, two steps back, yeah. and we're going to have a lot of times on that roller coaster grief ride that you know sometimes you think you're doing well, and boy, you will hit a valley. And, and it can be years. It can be years. I still do it. I met uh, somebody yesterday at a conference I went to whose um, daughter is getting married. She had two daughters. One of them was killed in a riding accident. And she said, I'm having a really hard time. It's been 18 years, but my daughter is now getting married, and my child who died uh, 18 years ago won't be at the wedding. She mm -hmm. said, I can't believe it. It just snuck up on me. Well, and you know, and that's that kind of that I'm sure you've probably talked about shadow grief, that it's sort of that lingering that lingering sadness that it doesn't matter how many years it is when this is a perfect example this this fact that there's a wedding and all of a sudden there's that reality that oh my gosh you know my whole family isn't here mm -hmm. yeah and i've been through that with weddings with my my older daughters that um you know though you're so overjoyed and happy about the contagion there's still that person missing that should no, be there right not only is your is your child not there but that your daughter will never have a wedding. Your daughter will never, right. And in my case, that was true. I never was able to experience mm -hmm. that with her and go through that. So it comes up through your whole rest of your life. There will be things that will will remind you that, you know, there's someone still missing. But uh, I like that shadow grief, Heidi. I haven't heard that before of you. I haven't either. And it well, they, so much they say that shadow grief and it's supposedly someone by the last name of Nap. But they say that, that it's one of those things that the sadness it's a sadness that lingers. I mean, obviously we're not in that same type of uh, curled in the fetal position type grief as we were in early in the early years. But it will, you know, this was a life-changing event. This is somebody that we love so much. And, um, and forever that sadness is just sort of lying under the surface and things like a family celebration, um, a wedding, those kind of things are always a glaring reminder that that person is no longer there to share that with them and to see them. For example, my, my, I, have, I have four grandchildren, and they were all born after Nina died. And so when I'm enjoying something with them and I'm seeing, you know, them grow and all these cute, wonderful things they do, and I can think in the back of my mind just, oh, my gosh, Nina would have been the greatest aunt, auntie. Mm -hmm. and, um, and here she is. She's missing this. And not only that, they're missing that with her. I definitely thought of that when my son was born. 
I thought it's too bad that he'll never ever meet his uncle because they have he would have loved him and they have so many things yes. in common. Yes, exactly, exactly. She would have just relished it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think I'm just mentioning that, Heidi. I know I'm jumping over here, but um, didn't uh, did you think sometimes that um, oh, I don't know, I don't know exactly how to say this, but it, it's just it's just so difficult because you want them to know. You want them to know them, and the only way they really can know you, them is through, you know, your pictures, your stories, and that's so important for them, and, and that's, there's just a real sadness there. Yeah, I absolutely feel like it is one of my responsibilities as a brief sibling is to keep my brother's memory alive and have my children and my nieces and nephews know who he was. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and tell them stories about him. And, and they need to do that, you know. It's just it'll be an ongoing thing, but it still, you know, doesn't take away the fact that they're not really they're here. But that is, you know, you were kind of those self-appointed keepers of our children's and siblings and grandchildren's mm-hmm. memory. And oh, I love that. I know. Yeah, the I self-appointed know. keepers. <laughs> <laughs> That's, a That's a wonderful thought, Kathy. Is that part of the reason you write so much? That is. That is exactly. As a matter of fact, right now I'm compiling the things I have written. I write a little thoughts for the editor in our newsletter for the St. Paul chapter, Compassionate Friends. I've been the editor for a few years. And, I and do by the thought- way, I think that you can go on the Compassionate Friends website or our website to get that St. Paul newsletter, can't you? Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. Um, you can do that. You and can so see I've been these writings through that. Um, you know, kind of express my feelings, of course, for other bereaved parents. They might relate to something. But also, it's, it's sort of a, my story of um, of Nina. And I've done that in a lot of different ones. So right now I'm in the midst of compiling a scrapbook with all of those things I've written so I can have that for my grandchildren so they'll really even know her more. Right? Yeah. Through, more through me because who loves... Who loves our children and siblings more than than their parents and their siblings? I mean, who better to give that story? Yeah, what a wonderful idea. Heidi, maybe you want to write some stories, you guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Like you didn't have something else to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is a great idea. And I love people have come on before and guests have come on and said that they had got friends to write stories that they had never heard of yes. the person that died and send them to the family, and I love it. It's a great idea. I yeah. did that, too, and you know what? That is such a gift because there are mm-hmm. things that you never knew happened. Exactly. And, you know, whether they're cute or they're, you know, like, well, you don't, Christian, really like to cheat at cards. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, <laughs> it's just a gift you, to hear that. They can give you new right. memories. Yes, they can. Wonderful. It is exactly that. I like that new memory. Joanne just wanted to know, Kathy, what is your perspective of this and the fact that she has, feeling, you know, indifference towards the woman that killed her, her child and can't deal with these organizations or can't deal with... Yeah, do you, did, did Matt bother you at all after or well, any of that they, or DWI? They, they, you know, it's, it's, what, it's interesting about that is that they did until they realized that the driver that, uh, you know, was responsible was also, also died. And so, you know, the thing that the problem that I personally have with Matt is that it was just wasn't, they have a different agenda. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, can I be frank here? I, I think yeah. that it's um, they they seem to be more involved in the anger part of it, which definitely anger. You know, anger. I think there are times that even eleven years later, I, I still have to deal with, with anger. But that was not the direction that I I was comfortable in going with, and that's where compassionate friends came in because. Um, well, Matt is great because they're changing legislation and they're and changing yeah, the nation, and that's and that, their that's that mission to stop drunken driving from happening. What, what I'm struck by, though, Kathy, and I, I noticed this when I was reading your, your background, 
is that you somehow were able not to let the anger consume you, and that's what I'm wondering. How did how did you do that? I mean, um, I would have to. I really would have to credit compassion friends with that. I think probably by being, um, you know, around people who had suffered similar losses, and I think you know, even outside of compassion friends. It, it sort of helps to have someone who's been in the similar situation. I don't mean just that they've lost a child, but that they've also lost a child to, um, say, a drunk driving accident or in a vehicular type accident because there's certain aspects of, of that that are different from, from, say, someone whose child has died from an illness. And it helps to have somebody that you can really a goal with that who's not going to be uncomfortable with it, who's not going to squirm in their seat. And that's, I think, talking, talking, talking about, you know, you need to, as hard it is to relive it over and over again. And I and I would say that that's kind of the direction that I went in. And when I started Compassionate Friends... See, so you um, talked to other people who had been through this. Because I the talked to other is, people. Because Nina was murdered by a drunk driver. Correct. And, you know, and that's really interesting you say that because the statistics on um, sudden death show that they really look at that is very, you know, similar to a homicide. Mm-hmm. And even um, uh, parents of murdered children, I don't know if you've ever talked about that, but even they consider uh, people that have children who have died by drunk drivers, it's to them is the same thing. It was someone who was responsible for their child's death. Mm-hmm. So, yes, exactly. And I was, oh, I'm not going to say I wasn't angry. I was extremely angry. I had my anger, but the odd thing was my anger went to everybody but where it should have went, and that was the person who made the decision to drink and get in a car and drive. Now, um, that's was, very interesting because Joanne says that her apathy is bothering her, that she doesn't, she's not mad at that person. Oh, she said that. Yes. Well, that and that's it. You know, I was mad at him very much in the beginning, Um like I said, to me, it wasn't good enough. <laughs> he died. He took my daughter with him. Mm-hmm. And I think probably through my talking with other people, I even a book that also, I blame God. God was the one that I was really angry with because I was brought up with that. If you're a good person and that you, these kind of things are going to happen to you. You know, Bad naive as it may sound. So um, my anger seemed to be directed at everything else, but I was angry at myself for taking my daughter on a vacation, you know, as irrational as that is. I I blamed him. I blamed my husband for the fact that he took his sweet time on Daytona Beach when we all wanted to leave, and I, I did that if only, you know, if we would have left earlier, we wouldn't have been there at the same spot. There's just so many different aspects that come into play here. So, yes, I was definitely angry, but for some reason... And I think all reason, that is normal. Yeah. But not at the driver. That's but interesting, and that driver. kind of fits in a bit with Joanne, what Joanne's talking mm-hmm. about. Well, we know Heidi and I have read some of the things that you've written, and they're on our thegriefblog.com. One of the things you talk about is a wonderful person who is calling in right now, oh. who is Ron Troyer. Hi, Ron. Oh. Hi, Ron. Good to hear, Kathy. It's so good to hear your voice. Oh, my gosh, and it's so good to hear you. This This man, I'm telling you, he is... He has something else. Let me just give you a really quick story about Ron, and I'll make it real fast. When I was at a, a panel for something that Gloria runs, the Professional Outreach Day for the Compassion Friend Conference, I was on a panel for her, and um, I mentioned this kind funeral director who just, you know, sent me in a direction that I will just love him forever, and that's Compassion Friends, and did so many wonderful things. Ron t- actually took you to Compassionate Friends, although he took you're not me to Compassion Friends. Although you're not a brief parent, are you, Ron? 
No, I'm not. And Ron took Kathy to, actually took her to the meeting, which is an amazing thing. That's amazing. And when I told them about this, this man raises his hand, and he's from somewhere else in the country, said, I know you're talking about Ron Troyer. So he's legendary for being this kind of person. And uh, I'm thrilled that you called, Ron. Well, it's awfully good to hear you. Uh, We shared many a moment together over the years, and I feel like I still say contacted you through your writing. Oh, yes, thank you. He's... Can you talk a little bit about what Ron Ron did? And Ron, can, can I would love to have you say, Ron, um, what about people who are nearly bereaved out there? What kind of advice do you have for them? They've lost a child. Well, in the beginning, uh, they're so numb, and I think one of one of the things that really bothered me about that report in the Chicago Tribune that you referenced earlier is just such yeah. a misunderstanding professionally. Uh, that, that numbness, as we always call it, that blessed numbness, which keeps people alive and protects them from feeling what they're going to feel down the road. They just need uh, to know that somebody can be present with them. I always considered my work uh, a ministry of presence, just being in people's lives when other people just can't do it because they can't be there to uh, watch people in pain. But if you yeah, can be and, there and connect them, you can make big, big difference yeah, in the direction. And, and for those folks out there who are newly bereaved, I mean, they're feeling crazy. Can you talk about the normality you've seen a lot of bereaved parents? I mean, uh, well, I, I've learned never to say what's normal because uh, normal is a lot of different things. People mm-hmm. have different agendas, and they can go any which direction. You just need to be there to listen to them talk, talk through what their needs are, and then offer suggestions. I, I always found that parents would make good choices if they knew they could make that choice. Mm-hmm. And so the things we did well, helping exactly. families. Exactly. Yeah, Kathy, you can talk about that. Well, he, you know, Ron just, just Ron just did so many wonderful things because, I mean, not only was he, you know, he certainly didn't fit my stereotypical funeral director. <laughs> I had never, you know, that to my daughter, I had never experienced a death close to me, which mm-hmm. includes I had grandparents that were still living in their, you know, when I'm in my forties. Right. So um, this well, was something. Well, that's the way it's supposed um, to be, right? That's right. Right. And what I'm struck by is Kathy, because you're talking about all the things he did. What he did, and you can say more about this, when he Mm -hmm. called the principal of your daughter's school and said to the principal, you need to allow these kids to attend the funeral. Well, he actually went to see the principal. Amazing. (laughs) And spoke to him because he was not going to allow the children to be dismissed from school to to go to her funeral. And, you know, he tried to explain to him and, and succeeded that this was just a very important part of their grieving process. They needed to be there. Um, so, yes, he did. He personally spoke to him and got him to to do that, which in turn allowed the choir that Nina was part of to be allowed to come and sing at her funeral, and that was really something to hear, too. That's fabulous. And like you say in your writing, I think the single most influential means of comfort that day was the presence of those kids at the funeral. Oh, it was. And it's so amazing because for some reason those kids who probably have not ever been through that before, they knew the things to say to me. They knew I wanted to hear Nina's name. They knew I wanted to hear stories about her. They were so, uh, their hugs and their presence, and they would come here, and they did all the right things. They, and they really represented did. her because they were young and they were her age and they yes. looked like her and, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Ron, uh, I wanted to ask you, could you talk a little bit about sudden death? Do you see it differently uh, when you when you uh, help families mm-hmm. as compared with uh, maybe a terminal illness? Well, there's just no anticipation. 
uh, sudden death brings you making choices and decisions where 24 hours ago it never it was a sh- mm-hmm. so far away from your mind you never would have thought you'd be doing those things. So uh, I, I always believed you had to go a little bit slower and explain things a little bit more and talk about the choices and options and then give people time to think about what they would choose to do. Uh, there is a, a numbness that envelops people, and when Kathy's family came back from Florida, they, they were not only numb, but they were beaten up physically. And so we just had to take our time and talk about what could be done and and then find people who would uh, allow us to do those things. So, yeah, we did, did a little intervention during that so, period of time. So one of the things you say to our folks out there is take it slow. I mean, we could do four, five more shows on all this. But um, anyway, uh, I wanted to ask Ron Terrier, who was the funeral director in Minnesota, right, right Ron? Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to ask you, we've got people sitting out there, they're listening, and they're saying, Ron Troyer, how fabulous. Why didn't I have that guy? I had this miserable experience with my funeral home or whatever. How do I deal with it now? Uh, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't see the body or I wanted to or, you know, um, things just did not go well. Where, where are the biggest problems that you find for uh, families and, and how do they deal with it now? Well, there are problems, and we're made aware of them. Um, and when they have happened, uh, then I think families need to let that person, that professional, be it a funeral director or a clergy or a physician, let them know that. And they have to tell them that after the fact when they're strong enough and willing to it. And they can do it either verbally in a meeting or by writing that uh, and sharing that information that it caused more pain. Because the only way we'll ever change how people... The kind of things they need at, at, at the time of death is to uh, keep educating people. And that, that's what I've tried to do professionally through my associations and through national conferences, and that's what Kathy's been doing is educating people through her writing. So uh, it can change, but it takes steps to do that, and people have to be involved to make it happen. Uh, what a great thought. Well, is there some way people can get in touch with you if they want to um, get more information from you or give you their thoughts, or would you like it to just go through our blog? Um, they can write on the blog, or uh, they also can uh, find me on the Parents of Murdered Children website, POMC.com. Uh, I'm one of the Ask the Experts, and so I have people who send me emails about their general experiences, their interactions with their funeral directors, and I try to help them resolve those issues. Uh, and sometimes it's just a malfunction, which can be a matter of re-educating, but if it's malfeasance, and someone did something that really harms them and they were licensed and shouldn't have done that, then we take other steps and I can help people find ways to report uh, situations that shouldn't have occurred to licensing agencies or professional groups. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Ron, and uh, it's just great to know there are people like you around in the world helping out. Thank you, Ron. Lucky ones. Great. Thanks, Ron. Uh-huh. Bye-bye, Ron. Bye-bye. Um, well, Kathy, I wanted to ask you, um, since this is our last break, do you have some thoughts? And you were talking about um, for vehicular, there's some memories and thoughts people have that keep reoccurring. You want to talk about that a little bit? I, I think with um, with something that, you know, usually a car accident or, you know, any kind of vehicular accident, there's, there's a violent death more often than not. And there's just a lot of different things that that is impacted with that, you know, how you heard the news, the condition of your loved one's physical body, that's a huge one. And not everybody's able to, um, wants to hear about that. And you really need to talk about it. It's one way you need to process through your grief is by 
talking about the things that you saw. I mean, for one, I was in the accident with my daughter, and so I remember everything that happened. I remember seeing her and knowing that she was dead. Mm. Um, these are, you know, different types of things that you're not going to see in other ways of, of the way people died. And not that by no means not saying that it's worse than any. It's just different. You, you and, just had um, information because you knew what she was experiencing at the end. Yes, those kind of things. I know. Yeah. Did she know? Um, was she unconscious immediately? Um, mm-hmm. uh, did did your child die while well, your the someone else was responsible? Did you have a good relationship with them when they died? And there's there's that no time for goodbyes. So there's that guilt. Um, my daughter and I had a really wonderful relationship, but that day, particular day, we had a little squabble. And even that, you know, I've blown totally out of, of proportion because I never got to resolve that with her. So there's so many um, different aspects when you are talking about a sudden death and a vehicular. And, and you're saying that the important thing is to get those details out and the talk about them. Don't save little tiny details. The thing that really bothered me was such and such. Yeah. You know, get it out there that it did bother you. And, and you it makes a huge difference. And, and the thing that's we really want to know, too, is that they didn't suffer at the very end. That is, in those that last is so seconds. crucial. And, you know, that's one of those things I asked Ron in the middle of picking out a casket when I should have been picking out a car for my 15-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. I suddenly said to him, you know, Ron, I need to know, you know, was Nina killed instantly and she didn't suffer? And he said, no, I have absolutely no doubt that she did not suffer. And that mm-hmm. was so important to me. So, you know, that's where you have those things where post-traumatic stress disorder come in, especially if you, you know, it's getting the call, that dreaded call in the middle of the night or the knock on the door. In my case, it was reliving this thing over and over, and it was like a videotape on constant rewind. It kept replaying itself. Right, and those things will, and, you know, we need to talk about them, and it's the little details that hold hold you into those spots. Exactly. exactly. Kathy, we just got like another minute, and I wanted to ask you if you had a piece of advice to give to anyone, either on the DWI thing or on the sudden death, what would it be? Oh, I think kind of what we've been talking about, Gloria and Heidi, is that you just really need, you need to talk about, you need to be, that's a, this is something where Compassion Friends, which I always credit, and I'll tell anybody who asks, that it saved my life, and I think it's because of that talking. They put me with people that had similar situations. Their children died in a vehicular accident. Those people have become my lifelong friends, and we can talk about things together that no one else um, really wants to hear. And I think talk, talk, you know, be in a support group with a large amount of people who've gone through similar things, and that would be my biggest advice. You need to go, you need to go somewhere with it, and you can't bottle this up inside. So um, I would definitely say get, get in some kind of a support group, compassion, friends, wherever you can, and, and talk it through. Well, Kathy, thank you so much. You've been a wonderful guest, and uh, I just cherish our relationship. Oh, and I do too, Gloria. I'm thrilled that you've asked me to be on here, and uh, I'd love to come back any time. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.